Blog Talk Radio. I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback from the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Finsider Radio, special Tuesday night edition, uh, deviated from our usual Thursday setup that we have going. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Keith. I'll be your host for the next uh, 75 minutes or so. As always, my faithful uh, co-host, good friend, Duke. What's up? Uh, not much, man. I hear that. Uh, we have a special treat tonight. Uh, Lewis is, uh, I'm told, actually headed up to uh, Spartanburg to uh, go check out the uh, the upcoming practices. And I don't know if he's sticking around for the game, too. So uh, apparently he's driving there right now. So in a moment, we'll bring him on to uh, see how that trip's going. I'm sure it's fantastic. Uh, as always, a lot to talk about the, this time of year where we're starting to get into the thick of preseason. We've got some good battles going on. Uh, we can actually we have a game to talk about. We'll be able to kind of break down what we saw in last Thursday's game up here in Chicago against the Bears. Uh, if you want to go ahead and give us a call in the studio, 347-326-9461. We'll be taking your call throughout the show. If you want to go ahead and tweet me with a question, I'm uh, KMB8488. Uh, that's my handle on Twitter. I think it's called a handle. I don't know. I feel like I'm talking about CB radio when I say things like that. But, yeah, apparently it's a handle. Yeah, convoy, everybody. Yeah, that's right. We got ourselves a convoy. So if you guys want to go ahead and message me that way, that's fine. One way or another, we want to hear from you. A lot to talk about this week. Uh, Just before we go ahead and bring Lewis on, uh, what was your your chief impression from that, that game last week? Because... Uh, for I mean, talk about a, a tale of two different teams because you got they got a new three four scheme. They have new coaches. I mean, a new head coach, new new coordinators. Uh, they pretty much wiped the slate clean on defense, save for a, a few a few younger players that they have. And then you've got the Dolphins, where everyone really wanted for I mean, somebody wanted to see the starting offense. I know that was what I was looking for, especially at the absence of, of Parker and Stills and Brandon Albert at left tackle. Uh, a lot of people wanted to see Indomitian Sue. I was also interested in seeing uh, Jordan Phillips. That was actually maybe the thing I was most excited for, is I wanted to see what, what happened when they, when they brought him in, and I was pleased. Uh, what did you think? What was what was your chief takeaway from, from what the starters were able to do in Chicago last Thursday? Uh, well, uh, first thing, it's a shameless plug time. I'm going to, uh, I too am planning to be at the practices in Spartanburg, so if you wanted to uh, get detailed tweets from people not named, uh, or not going to name them, but from other than beat writers, uh, my Twitter handle is theearl007. Uh, you can keep up with some stuff there. I'm mainly going to be watching the O-line and defensive backs. So, but anyway. He has no agenda. That's why you should follow him. Exactly. Um, the the first thing about the first team offense, um, it was it wasn't great. Um, it, it, Tannehill was, I'll say that he was not just uh, not just the completion percentage and that kind of stuff for typical stats. 
His passes were crisp. His passes were very accurate with the ball placement. Um, that pass to Greg Jennings was – I've watched it several times just to watch it. I mean, before we've seen Tannehill make that throw and it be completed, but it was behind the receiver. The receiver had to adjust. And that time he didn't. It just hit him straight in the hand. Now, Jennings bobbled it a little, but that was just on him. He still caught it. Uh, the pass to uh, pass to Landry in the end zone. The only thing I've watched it a few times, the only thing about that pass that I would say needed to be maybe a little bit different was if you threw it just slightly earlier. And that's very nitpicky. I mean, he threw the ball perfectly. He could not have thrown it any farther ahead of Landry or it's an incompletion. If he throws it behind him, then uh, the defensive back takes it for for a touchdown. It's That's how close that pass was. I mean, other than maybe some slight anticipation there, I thought he was, that was a perfect throw. Um, but, again, that's nitpicky. Now, overall, the offense wasn't as crisp. There were some missed blocks. Um, you know, but a lot of that, that stuff's just preseason stuff. It's not, you know, I think Juwan James missed a block on the very first run. His guy got free for a tackle. Had some holding penalties that were just, you know, kind of here and there. But for the most part, I thought it was, I thought the offense played well. The, the main components played well. Um, if you go back and watch it and watch the offensive line play, Tannehill had plenty of time, so they were set his feet. Um, the only time that I saw any pressure, the Bears sent up an all-out blitz. I think they sent like six or maybe seven uh, rushers. And the only the only one that missed the block was uh, the running back. He uh, he was trying to block the, the nose tackle, so that was, was going to be a loss anyway. But um, a penalty negated it, so it didn't really matter. So that was a uh, it was good to see. It was it was one of those moments where it's like, all right, we've seen enough. Let's get let's get the starters out. Um, I like what I saw yeah. from the guard, and then uh, I was going to say is. I honestly, I could have stopped watching after Tannehill's first completion, the first throw he made, which I think was to Deion Sims. Yeah. And if you watch, if you watch that throw and how it sets up, he's in the pocket. He has that subtle pump fake that gets the defensive lineman out of that throwing lane, and then he delivers a throw that is just disgusting accurate. That is all I needed to see. As soon as the, as soon as he completed that, I was like, we're we're good. And, but, I mean, the icing on the cake was that that throw he had to to Jennings uh, uh, is something that, yeah, in the past has been a little bit behind the receiver. And, I mean, that thing was – it was almost like Jennings couldn't believe how accurate it was. I mean, it's just right on the hands. He, you're right, he bobbled it at first. So I liked it. And I agree, the only thing you'd like to see on that touchdown throw is you, you want to see a little bit more decisiveness. Because, I mean, there was well, almost a little bit of hesitance before he was able to fire that thing off into the corner. But well, uh, me, I, I like that. I don't know if he was waiting on the route to develop or what. I mean, it, like, like I said, to me, it was very nitpicky. I mean, he made the throw. I mean, and, and people talk about arm strength. That's the kind of throw where arm strength is, is highlighted. Because he zips that ball in there. Had the ball been late or thrown behind, it's an interception. The ball was perfectly thrown for that throw. Now, the only thing that, I, and, and the way I looked at it, to kind of give you an idea of where I'm coming from is I looked at it as if Aaron Rodgers was making that throw, how would he have done it? 
And the only thing that I can think is he might have thrown it a half a second earlier, right as Landry is coming out of the break. But then again, that also opens up for the defensive back to cut in front of it instead of playing the man. So, you know, without actually knowing that kind of details, I'm just going to stick with the fact that it wasn't, as I said at the time, it was an elite throw. That's not a throw that every quarterback can make. That's a throw that the best of the best make. Uh, I think one of the important things for me is he just looked like he had great control of that offense. Like, he went in there, and I understand season game, you're going up against a defense that is completely revamped and is going to take, is going to experience a lot of growing pain this season. But he just went in there and he, he just did his thing. And it's a vanilla offense. You know that with Joe Philbin as they go into these preseason games that he's not going to show anything. It's only, he's almost offended by the thought of going out there and showing any sort of wrinkle that they'll that they'll have uh, installed in this offense for the regular season. So you just go out there uh, just very bare bones in terms of what your offense is looking to do. And, I mean, Canada looked comfortable. I was pleased. And, it, you know, we weren't the only people who were impressed by it. Like, Daniel Jeremiah couldn't get over himself. Yeah. Just at, at, at how good Canada looked. I know he was he was at Soldier Field for that game. So, I mean, the, the returns it, were it really good. To me, it was one of those performances where – when you watch the really good quarterbacks and really good offenses go to work against a defense like that, that's how you expect it to look. I mean, yeah. at no point, at no point after that drive would I have sat there and thought, man, I don't know if the Dolphins are going to score again. I would have been like, is Tannehill coming out after the third quarter or not? Yeah. Well, um, we'll get to that game. Actually, I want to go ahead and, uh, and talk to Lewis. He's at, on his way to Spartanburg, I'm told. Lewis, are you driving up with Dallas Thomas? Uh, I'm actually driving up right now. I actually have a bunch of guys uh, with me now. That's kind of how I'm able to talk right now. So You guys know I can't miss this show. I, I love doing this with you guys, so I'm glad to be here. Uh, we're we're happy to have you. I'm disappointed. I thought you'd at least have Dallas Thomas in your car with you or something. But I no, understand I that Dallas hands-free is... is... Okay. Uh, was actually, kind of, kind of speaking to Dallas Thomas, and I mean, you can just chime in whenever you want. Um, there's yeah. that that stat that stat that came out today. You were covering the banquet, and one thing that was brought up because Mike Tannenbaum is uh, a numbers guy, to say the least. Uh, there is that stat sheet that came up that depicted, or I should say. Um, showed the amount of increased time spent in facility for Dolphins players this offseason. If I'm not mistaken, that was the the uh, the, um, the topic, I guess you say the topic of the, the sheet. Billy Turner, 44% more time spent in the Dolphins facility this offseason. Quite literally, he has almost spent a full 50% more than what he did last season as a rookie. Which, in fact, I like Billy Turner. I know a lot of people were, some people aren't really fans of him at this point. I know that his holding penalty on that opening drive we were just talking about uh, set us back a little bit and kind of gave some ammunition to some of the Billy Turner haters out there. But I liked him. Uh, I know Duke and I were both big fans of him when when he came out of uh, North Dakota State last year. Uh, Say what you want about him, though, 44% increase in time spent at the facility this year. The guy clearly wants it. 
And I another thing, yeah, uh, one thing that, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that from him. I love that he's putting in the time. The thing I love to see most, though, from that sheet, and I'm at, not at all surprised by it, Ryan Tannehill was, I, I think, like, what was he, like, number four or five on the list? Somewhere right around there. With, I think, like, 30-some percent. I forget the exact number. I saw the sheet when I was at work. And I love the fact that he gets the big contract. He's the guy in Miami. He doesn't have anyone pulling this. We should start Matt Moore crap. Not that I've seen, at least. Gets the big contract, and what does he do? Spends more time working out and practicing. The offseason. He doesn't have to do that. He could be, you know, doing the whole Tony Romo thing and going to going to Mexico or whatever. And you love to see that from your quarterback. And like I said, I'm not at all surprised because Ryan Tannehill just seems like that kind of guy where he's just gonna uh, I mean, insert whatever cliche you want, put his nose to the grindstone, even though he doesn't have to. But I love the fact that your franchise player, the guy you just paid a lot of money to, I mean, relatively speaking, is in house even more than he was last year. You reward him with the contract, he rewards you with even more work. You love to see that from a quarterback. So I was pleased to see that. Wasn't surprised to see Lamar Miller on the on the list either, considering the fact that when Lamar got in the game the other night, I thought he was Ronnie Brown. He looked enormous. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Lamar Miller did an awesome job in that game against Chicago, and he didn't even run the ball that many times. I think he ran the ball like only three times. Or was it I think you're right. Uh, well, I, got, don't, I don't really he, know. Uh, I guess he, he got stuffed at the line on the first play. And I think the next time he, he got the ball was after Jennings' big completion, which is when he tore off that, what was it, 30-some yard run? Close mm-hmm. to. And then the running. he... Uh, one, of, one of his... Uh, I think we lost Duke for a second. Uh, I think he's back now. One of the plays was uh, he had a decent game that was called back uh, due to holding. I think that was the Jason Fox play, or the Jason Fox penalty, I should say. So um, I liked it, though. I mean, he he looks enormous. And the thing to keep in mind with Lamar Miller is when he came into the league, he was considered a bigger back. I think he was already right around 220 pounds, which for a guy who's considered a speedster, like he was coming out of the University of Miami, is pretty impressive. And he looks bigger. Like, he just is just... Yeah, built. So you like to see that from a guy you expect to, you'd like to see um, uh, improve on a really impressive season last year. So, I mean, he's clearly in it to to improve himself. So you'd love to see that you're, right now, your core guys, for the most part, or the one, like Walt Akins was on the list. You'd love to see that because he's expected to eventually take over as the free safety for this team. So I was pleased to see and that. Alex I thought Thomas that was, was on the list. Dallas Thomas was on the list. He was um, he was near the bottom of the list, but he was still at like twenty some percent. Which I mean, you you like to see the fact that the guys who are, are unproven, the guys who are fighting for spots on this team, are the ones that are in house. They're not out vacationing. They're, I mean, they could be doing other things, but I mean, they're the ones who are who are there. You loved it. I'm not surprised with Billy Turner because everything that we read about him at North Dakota State said that that guy was a total workaholic when it came to to practicing or gym rat. I guess that's the, the vernacular when it comes to uh, sports. So I, yeah, I was pleased I think, to get about it. Go ahead. One thing that we've noticed from all the camp reports, including OTAs, 
mini camp and now training camp. I don't remember who put it out there. Maybe it was Jarvis Landry, an Instagram photo of uh, he and Tannehill and um, I think it was Rashard Matthews and one other person I can't remember were working out in the off season before. Uh, this, I think this was right before uh, free agency started because I remember we were talking about well now Kenny Stills is going to join in or something and so that shows not only is he putting in work inside the building. He's working outside with his receivers too, and you can just see, you can see that, you know, call it chemistry, call it whatever you want, but you can just see Tannehill, that that work is manifesting itself now with better footwork, better throws, and one uh, one play that I was going to mention earlier and forgot that CT and I were talking about on the site was that third down on the very first drive, <clears throat> Tannehill drops back, no one's open. I counted. I probably watched that play. 10 times, and I timed it every time. Right about the three-second mark, what does he do? He gets out of dodge, escapes the pocket, puts a move on the guy, picks up the first down. That, now we've seen Tannehill run. We've seen him make some scrambles, but nothing, to me, that was a sign of a lot of good things, pocket presence, awareness, um, a lot of stuff. You know, we we remember the Tony Sperano three-second buzzer for Chad Henney. It was almost as like Tannehill had that, and he took off. Another good thing about that play was the blocking actually opened up for him. There wasn't pressure in his face that made him run backwards or try to do something like that. Pocket was open. No one uh, no one was open that he could throw to. So he got the first down. I think it was the uh, next play was the uh, pass to Jennings. So, you know, stuff like that. Um, but you, you can see that that work uh, that he's putting in coming through with, with not only him but with the receivers. But I want, to I want to give credit to the offensive line. I was gonna. I wanted to give credit to the offensive lineman for that game. I mean, uh, you, you that one run that Lamar Miller managed to break. It was on the backs of Jawan James and Lamar and uh, Billy Turner creating holes for him. And there was one play where Billy Turner pretty much just knocks his his blocker down to the ground. So we we need to at least we need to realize that. Okay, the Bears' defensive line isn't that great, but they still have Jared Allen, and they still have, and they got went and got Pernell McPhee, who is not a scrub for by any means. It's the it's the Bears' defense as a unit that's a problem, but the individual players are still there. They can still be decent players. So you got to give credit. You got to give credit where credit is due. These guys did a pretty decent job, especially given that everybody expected them to pretty much just fall flat on their face, no matter who we were facing. Are, are the Bears Buffalo? No, nobody's Buffalo. Are, are the Bears New York? No, no one is New York. Those two teams are pretty much the top two defensive lines of football, and I'd like to say that the Dolphins have at least number three. But you got to give them credit where it's due. If they did well, then they did well. If the, the only time you can say that they were bad is if they were legitimately bad. Billy Turner getting called for holding does not concern me. It's one play out of however many plays that he got to play. And he did spend a lot more time on the field than anybody else did, so you have to give him that. And I think that Billy Turner can do a good job. He just needs to – people need to believe that he can do it. Uh, the the holding penalty was, in my opinion, was more of like a, just a – I don't know, it's kind of a brain fart type play. He, from, from watching it, it looks like he's trying to cut block the guy, and he does a decent job. I mean, it could have been a better cut block. 
but the 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 defensive lineman kind of anticipates it and he backs up. I mean, he 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 does what he's supposed to, do, but then he reaches out with his hand and just kind of grabs his ankle. I think if he had just dove down to the ground, I don't know that his man was got to play. It might have, you know, it might have he, he might have stopped him a, a yard shorter or something. Maybe ultimately it wouldn't have mattered, but. But that was that was about it. It wasn't just like he, you know, got his hands in the wrong place or something. It was just kind of one of those like stuck his hand out. And and honestly, I think if, if he had just kind of pulled his hand back in, it looks like that he he grabbed the ankle and then kind of held on for a second, um, you know. But I mean, I I saw some tweets today, uh, some some people posting pictures. He got up on uh, uh, Jay Ratliff at one point and stonewalled him. And that guy had three sacks uh, against the Dolphins last year. Um, so he did a pretty good job. There was one play in the, after the second string got in when Dallas Thomas was in there. It was on a run. He gets out to the second level and just bulldozes some linebacker. Um, I mean, again, he's playing backups. But still, when you see stuff like that, that's kind of promising to me. Uh, one guy for Chicago who really impressed me was uh, the rookie, Eddie Goldman, that they had playing at the, the nose. He's doing zero tech in that game. I didn't realize how enormous he is, first of all. He's over 330 pounds now. And I, I understand it's his first preseason game, but I thought he, he looked pretty good in that game. So I, I feel like that was probably a pretty decent test for some of these guys as they're going through. It seems really weird to say that uh, when they're going up against a rookie, but I think that guy's going to end up being pretty good. So, And if you're, if you're talking about Billy Turner in terms of uh, – just athletic ability, build, and everything. I don't know if you could draw up a more perfect body for a guard. I mean, the, the guy is just, he's incredibly quick. Uh, I mean, he's hes pretty long, uh, considering the fact that uh, they, they picked him inside. Uh, and I know that there are still some, some warts that they're trying to, to work out here, but an ideal situation, especially for Ryan Tannehill, when you consider the hits he's taken over the years, uh, if you're able to get Dallas Thomas and Billy Turner to a to a place where you feel like they're they're capable, dependable starters, and then you're able to bring Jameel Douglas up behind them because I think he's going to factor in too. Now all of a sudden you have a little bit of guard depth, which is something that we had just have not had in years, in decades, I would argue. Just good guard depth. So that's that's something to to keep in mind. There, one thing I actually want to ask you guys about. Is um, we got some sounds like we got some feedback going on there. Uh, let's talk about Rashard Matthews because Lewis briefly mentioned him, and, and so did you, Duke. That uh, that catch he had on third down, uh, I mean, that was a special route. He absolutely iced Kyle Fuller, who's not only Chicago's best corner, but in my opinion, one of the better young corners in the league. I know he's had some health problems, but Rashard Matthews just absolutely just greased him on that route. I mean, he just ran it perfectly, set him up, absolutely that little, him. That little outside shake he put on him just completely ruined the press. I think the uh, the Chicago sports catcher, see, that was on the NFL game pass, and they were kind of awful. But the, uh, it, basically, I mean, the guy, I think it was his name, Jim Miller or something like that, he was like, uh, I mean, you listen to the broadcast, and he's pretty much like, yeah, that's just a great route by Miami. I mean, what else can you say? That's what it was like. I mean, he puts a little outside move on him, cuts back inside, completely ruins the press, drops his hips, turns on the on the curl, and he'll hit him. And then he has the physicality when the guy grabs him to actually just 
basically fall forward another five yards. Just ridiculous. I'm like, that guy needs to start. And yeah, I, think I know there's issues with, you know, with, with Hartline and Wallace, and I'm not going to get into their play as much as, and the same thing with Gibson, as much as they were big money guys. And you have to throw the ball to the big money guys. And so Matthews wasn't getting the, the playing time, wasn't getting the touches because, you know, you have to, you don't keep a guy like Wallace on the bench making $17 million. So, you know, now he's getting out there, he's getting time with the first team. And Ken Hill's already said, you know, look, I, I trust these guys. I'm going to throw the ball out there, and I'm trusting them to go get it. And you're seeing that, and you're seeing Matthews step into that role. And I think, and we mentioned this last week, and, uh, you know, that it, it, it's to a point now that I think Rashard Matthews is, you know, is going to get time simply because Tannehill is going to be in the coaches here saying, you know what, I want that guy on the field because I trust him to make a play for me. And then, you know, yeah, of course, he feels the same way with the other guys. And you add Parker to the mix, which is just even more, you know, just I don't even, I don't even want to imagine it right now. <laughs> well, well, speaking speaking of the other guys, so Kenny Stills comes back to practice. He missed. He's missed some time, I think, since the beginning of August, August 2nd, I think, with uh, a calf, a calf strain. He comes back to practice on Monday and puts on an absolute show. Uh, he and Tannehill, I think their first connection was on a deep ball about 30 yards. He got behind, uh, uh, I think he got behind Bryce McCain, just set him up. And um, from everything I've heard, I have not able been able to actually watch the footage but it sounds like it was a perfect catch, great or perfect throw, great catch. Everything that we were we were hoping for when we we traded for Bills last March, and then uh, I think there were a couple of other. He had two other completions, I th- or I should say catches, uh, in that scrimmage. So everyone started to on Twitter started to buzz about Kenny Stills. They're talking about like, well, this guy just looks really, I mean, just incredibly smooth route runner at this point, uh, four three speed. I mean, speed that you can see is usually the term that, or the uh, the phrase that comes out with these guys. So you're starting to now you're starting to see that aspect of the receiver core come out. You saw all these guys on Thursday who look like these really dependable, excellent receiving options. I mean, Jarvis did his thing. You know, I I would almost argue that at this point the receiver core is built around him until something changes. Oh, Richard looks outstanding. I think that the the coaching staff would be foolish to, to shy away from him this year because he's a big-bodied guy. He's a great route runner. And, I mean, he's – I think that he's capable of doing more after the catch than they expect right now. So I'd like to see that. So now you bring in Kenny Stills, who's got the the uh, the high speed factor, and some people want to write him off as, well, he's just going to replace Wallace, which is absolutely not the case. He's going to add several dimensions that Wallace couldn't hope to bring this team, especially – in uh, the work that he does close to the line of scrimmage, his ability to win at the line of scrimmage. He's got great bursts there. Uh, like we so, said, and Tanner said, too, real smooth uh, route I runner. I want to interject. Sorry, I want to interject sure. what Tannehill said about him. He said, uh, I read on the Dolphin side, he said Tannehill said it was his, his smoothness in and out of his routes. Um, I, I wanted to add that in there. That was something Tannehill himself highlighted, which goes along with what you were saying about what he does at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, he's a smooth route runner. And the, the, I know that one of the knocks on him when he came out of Oklahoma, people claimed that he wasn't much of a yak guy. 
Well, I think that he's got the speed, not necessarily the wiggle, but I think that if you can get him the ball in space, he's going to make you pay. So you're excited. Now you're adding him to an offense that already has several impressive pieces, and now it sounds like uh, Brandon Albert's getting starting to get back into practicing and whatnot. You're hoping to have him back for the, the first game of the season. Now we wait for Devontae Parker, who is the, the number 14 overall pick. He's supposed to be this uh, this ex-receiver in this offense, the guy who can pretty much do everything you need him to, uh, great vertical option, uh, excellent in the red zone. Uh, uh, in terms of guys who are strong at yards, uh, getting yards after the catch, I mean, that guy's a knockout. He's outstanding. So now you're starting to think, you're, you start to consider the options and realize what's possible when we're able to get him in. And I, and I hope it's he's ready for the first game of the season. I don't know. He had that screw in his foot replaced, and it sounds like he's jogging. Uh, I know every time I, I read a, a camp report, he's been on the bike. So hope to get him in there. And one thing we haven't even mentioned is uh, Jordan Cameron. And I wonder if they just kind of stayed away from Jordan Cameron because they didn't want to tip their hand too much, especially in the red zone. Every time they got – when they first got to the red zone and then they the penalty brought him out and then they got back in there, you kept thinking that, okay, well, this is Jordan Cameron's show now. And they didn't go to him. So I wonder if they're they're conscious of of keeping that hand concealed for now because that guy is also an outstanding weapon as a tight end. And I thought Deion Sims looked really good as a pass catcher too. So everything coming together for, for this offense right now, and it's pretty exciting. And you just hope they can stay healthy because I think they're going to do some, some pretty incredible things this year. And uh, we're, we're fortunate enough that we're able to watch it. Yeah, and one thing I noticed from the game uh, Thursday night was that uh, I saw at least a couple of plays where uh, Cameron, he was actually lined up out wide and then he, came in motion and lined up in line uh, at the, at the, with the rest of the offensive linemen, but uh, they're going to use him out wide a lot. Um, I, I think that that's that's going to be a thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, one thing about the, the, the game was when it was third and third and four, whatever it was, uh, they ran a draw play. And my first thought was, well, they're not going to do that in the regular season. They're going to put the ball in Tannehill's hands. You don't. You don't put. You know, get Jordan Cameron and Devontae Parker for a draw play. Uh, not saying that they won't run it some, but so I think that was part of what you mentioned about the, the Joe Philbin just keeping it straight vanilla. I think it was just, well, we run this play. Let's see what else we can do. It's kind of play there, but yeah, I think we're going to get Cameron involved more. Uh, and I don't think we'll really see his impact until the first game of the season. I, I, I mean, I think they're going to have some design stuff for him. I think right now they're just going to stick back with the short yardage stuff, some just regular basic routes. Because, I mean, at this point, I think they know what these receivers can do. I don't think they really need to test them to make them do different kind of routes. I mean, if they want to throw in some different option routes or something in there from the slot, uh, you know, let them test and things like that. But I, I don't think we're going to see, uh, at least in the preseason games, I don't think we're going to see much beyond, you know, just your ordinary route trees from, from what we're used to, you know, the, the old stuff in the flat, the slants, and, you know, maybe some deep ends and things like that. So um, that was what it was to Jennings, I believe. Uh, so it, it's, you know, it's going to be 
first game of the season is going to roll around, and, and I, I don't know how well Washington's secondary is. I know they struggled last year, but uh, they're going to have their hands full. If they have not improved, they're going to have their hands full with this crew. I think the the nice thing about the tight ends right now is that Deion Sims' ability as an inline guy affords a lot of flexibility to the mm-hmm. Dolphins, and they can they can flex out Jordan Cameron, like you said. They're not, they're not looking because you kept seeing the camp reports. Well, he's not blocking a lot. That's never been his game, ever. When he was when he was in Cleveland, it's not like oh we got to get that guy in as that that sixth blocker on a lot of these plays. No, he's he's a seam threat. His you'd like to to see him be able to uh, knock off a knock off his man every so often. But I mean, he's the kind of guy where I mean he's he's going vertical. And I mean, good luck catching or it, good luck keeping with him. So let's go ahead and shift the focus to the defensive side of the ball because that was the other point of focus for a lot of fans going into Thursday night's game, namely because of the the hundred million dollar plus uh, acquisition the Dolphins made this season in Indomitian Sue. Everyone wanted to see what it looked like to see him on that line of, on that line of scrimmage in an actual contest and Chicago goes false start on the first play. Now, I know a lot of people on Twitter were making fun of him for that, but I, mean, I live in the Chicagoland area. They, they, When he was in Detroit, they saw him twice a year, and he maimed them almost every time, injured Jay Cutler countless times. I assure you, he's probably the last guy they want to see in Soldier Field. He's just He was always a terror for that team. Just an absolute nightmare. So they go false start. And a lot of people uh, forget that Chicago's got one of the better guards in the league right now. So, or I should say, they have a nice pair of guards in there right now, and namely Kyle Long. So uh, you get in. Pardon? That was, that was the guy that jumped. And yeah, I think I mentioned that to you today on, on Twitter was that, you know, here, we've heard all this all camp about Indomitian Sioux just wrecking Billy Turner, always wrecking Billy Turner. Oh, how bad this is. Chicago's first play of 2015, first play of 2015, their first round, who was the first round pick, right? First or second, I can't remember. Uh, top guard. I think he, he's made a Pro Bowl, hasn't he? Um Here's a guy that Miami, if, if if they said this guy's available, people would want him. And the first thing he does across from Indomitian Sioux is get skittish and jump. Um, but yet, yet Billy Turner's just supposed to block him, you know, one on one all the time. Give me a break. Yeah, no one's gonna, no one's gonna yeah. block that guy one on one. I'm surprised that he's the best have issues. Then I expect a, a second year guard to have, you know, to have issues too. So no, but I mean, the thing is, I mean how people have been killing Billy Turner for struggling with and Dominican Sue. What I'd say to that is I'm surprised people go that route. You saw what he did to Mike Pouncey in that game last year. I mean, Mike Pouncey's an incredible lineman. They kick him over to guard, and they tried to single block Sue with him on one of the first plays of the game, and Sue pretty much threw him out of the way. All right, there's very few people on the planet who can throw Mike Pouncey out of the way. All right, and one of them was in Miami now. That's why they paid him all that money. So I wouldn't kill Billy Turner for 
for struggling to, to handle that guy. So, I mean, Chicago did what we expected them to. Though. They doubled him on almost every play. There were a couple where they went ahead and brought in a third man. So, and was, I mean, that's what... Go ahead. The first play, the first play was actually ran. And, and this just caught me kind of a second or third time I watched it. Is they double-teamed Sue. It was a running play. Now, you would think a center and a guard going up against a defensive tackle, double-teaming him could create more of a rushing lane. But they didn't. It was pretty much a stalemate. He, and Dominican Sue stood where they hit him, and they did not move him. And, of course, Rashad Jones comes flying in and makes the tackle. It was like a two-yard gain. But when two guys are blocking you, two guys are blocking the dude, and they can't move him in a running play, it's less than a pass protection. They were trying to push him back, and they could not. And two guys were doing that. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to enjoy watching that. And one thing I highlighted, I put it out on Twitter. I think it was the second series that Chicago came out. Um, and I think it was the play where uh, where the penalties were called, but Wake got that ridiculous sack on Cutler and just uh, devoured him. I, I stopped it right as the ball was snapped. So I go frame by frame on the DVR. By the third frame, Wake is already getting out of his stance. You can see his movement. By the fifth frame, Indomitian Sue is moving, and the center is just now actually getting into his stance, not counting the ball movement. That's the first time a Chicago offensive lineman actually moves like they're actually going to try to block somebody. And two guys on the offense, or defensive line are already moving at that point. I, was, I went back and was like, let me try this again. Did it several times. That type of reaction time, and, and it happened a couple of other plays, that kind of reaction time, yeah, they're going to give all kinds of people trouble this year. That That is the two things I caught from it was just those two guys are going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, and you also expect, I mean, first of all, if you're one of the defensive ends coming in, you got to love that, and you can see that in that game. So, I mean, first of all, Cameron Wake uh, just ate Jordan Mills on a couple of those plays, which you expect. And when you've got Indomitian Sue uh, commanding that much attention inside, Vernon and Wake are just going to tee off. There's really no way, no other way around it when you're committing that much personnel toward one player. So, I mean, this is great news if you're if you're Earl Mitchell. Or, uh, yeah, uh, so for some reason I'm just uh, a little bit... Um, uh, off right there. Sorry, I was also reading a tweet. Uh, so, if you're the defensive tackle paired with Indomitian Sue, uh, by uh, we were talking about this today. Like, if we're going to see Sue and Jordan Phillips together, uh, it, Sue is going to be the one to get the double team every. I mean, he's. I mean, his reputation alone. You, you're not going to single block him, like I said. I mean, he makes he made Pouncey look bad. And I think Mike Pouncey's outstanding. So if you're the guy playing next to him, you're I mean, you're gonna get some primo opportunities to go ahead and get into the backfield. And guys like Mitchell and I thought that Phillips I mean Phillips college tape always suggested that he could be a quality disruptor at the next level. I don't I mean I don't think you're ever gonna see him become a an outstanding pass rusher or like a consistent penetrator. But I, I do think he's a, I do think he's someone who can disrupt plays more often than not. So if you're able to get him in a situation where he can play with Sue, or if you even got Mitchell with Sue, those guys are going to disrupt. 
so that's pretty exciting stuff. I actually, I want to go back to. I keep muting Lewis because uh, his uh, his car noise is uh, sabotaging our show. Lewis, what did you think of uh, the defensive line and Dominican Sue the other night? Well, first of all, I apologize for the amount of feedback. I mean, that's just the road. I can't really do much about that. But um, that's, that's um, speaking of, <laughs> so the defensive line was extremely impressive. I really loved how the first play of the game, I think it was, and Dominic Sue apparently scared the guy in front of him into jumping off, jumping to a false start. That was just hysterical to me. It's like, I'm assuming that Sue just growled at him in a menacing way, and he just kind of wanted to back away and run, run and cry and home to mommy. So, <laughs> and then you watch Sue's impact helping Wake out, so we got a sample of exactly what it is that we're going to be seeing when the regular season starts. Uh, he said, uh, Sue said at the luncheon today that um, he wants he's focused on trying to help Cameron Wake get past his uh, 15 sack mark. He wants to get a sack. He wants to see if he can get Wake up to 20 sacks. And considering how good that Sue is, he just might be able to do that because he's going to start demanding all the double teams that Wake had been getting up until that point. So. I love what the defensive line was able to do. I love the depth that we have there. Derek Shelby and Terrence Faday are still very good defensive ends and can handle first-team guys, I think. And Jordan Phillips is really coming on strong, and I'm also really impressed with what I've seen from C.J. Mosley. Uh, suddenly, he's come out of nowhere and become a star. Well, to an extent, anyway. You gotta, i got to watch for how I say the word star because that implies that he's really, really good. Um, but he has been a lot better than he has been early in the training camp, so I don't know if maybe he just needed the light to come off or he was still trying to learn the, the, the playbook or something like that. But there's a lot of depth on the defensive line, and it's going to help the linebacker core too, which is a good thing because the linebacker core is currently a bit is, is currently in flux, to say the least. The only one that's really in place for sure is Jelani Jenkins at the weak side linebacker, and everything else is pretty much... A question mark. We don't know if Cole Meese is going to be healthy enough to stay at middle linebacker. We don't know if Cole Meese is going to wind up going outside so that Kelvin Shepard can be the middle linebacker. And we're still not sure what we're going to get from Chris McCain since um, his pass rushing is still right up there with some of the best of the linebackers. But his coverage skills leave a lot to be desired. So you kind of have to pick and choose and uh, play some mix and match with the whole linebacker situation. But... If I could segue into that just for just a minute, I would like to talk about Zach Vigil for a few minutes. I mean, this kid literally came out of nowhere. He came out of Utah State, undrafted free agent, and a lot of people did not expect a whole lot out of him. They were more along the lines of Jeff Luke or um, Mike Hall or maybe even Neville Hewitt. But it's Vigil who's really come out strong, and there's not even a question anymore exactly which one of the four is the better linebacker. Vigil is it. There's no one, he's, he doesn't have any more competition for that spot on the roster. He is the guy. And Mike Hall and uh, Jeff Luck, uh, Luke rather, better get ready to see if they can make it out of the practice squad because no one's beating Vigil at this point. He's always around the ball, five tackles and one sack against the Bears. He's making plays left and right. In training camp, he's gotten some time with the ones. That's the one thing that's, that's, He's the one who got extra time with the ones the day after I reported that they were doing like a mix and match with AJ Francis and Dallas Thomas and all these guys going in weird places and weird formations. So the fact that Vigil still was the only one there who managed to get more time with the ones, that means he has legitimately moved up the depth chart, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Vigil 
in a year or maybe even less than a year, he'll be able to be a really good middle linebacker for the Dolphins, and maybe we can eventually move on from Koamisi and Calvin Shepard, and we can start to see if we can get some Jordan Tripp and see if we can give Chris McCain some more shots at playing. The linebacker core is good in the future. Right now it's a little bit of trouble, but with some development, the linebacker core could be really good next year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think one of the things I'm most excited for regarding the linebacker uh, core is in relation to that defensive line. You love the idea of uh, Jelani Jenkins just whipping around the second level with the the freedom he's going to have with those guys playing in front of him. So that's something I'm really excited for. Uh, Mosley, I mean, and Tom can sue his vouch for that guy pretty much throughout his entire career. So now that he's in Miami... Uh, you got to figure that if uh, if Indominus Stewart approves of what he can do, then he should be okay. But the important thing is the depth that they have up front is outstanding right now, especially if you're going to run that hybrid scheme to whatever degree you hope. Uh, I know some people aren't happy with the wealth of def- defensive linemen that they have in there. They feel like it should be a shorter bench. Uh, I don't agree. I think more bodies is always better when you can uh, when you can afford to do so. So, um, and I agree with everything with the linebackers. I think that I love the young talent they have in there, and it's something that if you're into immediate gratification, you're not going to be pleased because I think you're going to see some growing pains with some of those kids. But I would say that the state of the linebacker position in Miami is better than people suspected it was uh, when this offseason began. So that's pleasing. I'm happy about that. And as you mentioned and as we've talked about before on this show, when you have that caliber of defensive lineman in front of you, it's a hell of a lot easier to play the second level of defense in the NFL. So I like that. Uh, yeah, and I think what one thing that, that uh, you know, we've not gotten into yet with the secondary is that um, with I, I didn't really get to watch much of that. I don't know if there's all 22 out. Yeah, for this, I'm not sure, but um, I, I'm thinking when from what I, from what I've read about guys like Michael Thomas and Walt Akins, is these guys can play the, they can play the deep uh, center field safety, um, and if you have a guy like that that can cover the field in that area, and, and you know the kind of the prototype for that now is Seattle with Earl Thomas playing the deep guy and then having Cam Chancellor come up and kind of play in and around the box, you know, kind of as the as the uh, bouncer in there making sure that the, you know, tight ends and running backs kind of regret coming in that area. That's going to be, to a lesser extent, it's going to be Miami's defense. If you have that good deep free safety, then a guy like Rashad Jones, and, and, and we saw that the other night. I mean, he was up around the line of scrimmage doing work. And you know, when he's up there getting tackles at the line of scrimmage, you know, then then you're there's going to be, uh, yeah. When I saw that after watching a few times, my thought was that guy's going to have about 150 tackles this year. He's just going to eat, and so you know, to me, the linebackers aren't going to be as big an issue because you have a guy like Rashad Jones in there. Now, if you can get some more coverage linebackers, some guys that can drop back in that zone, and, and I like what I saw from Vigil. If you get some guys that can do that, you know, then, then, then you know, this is really going to get interesting because those little short routes, you know, how many times did we watch Wes Welker kind of beat us on those little dink and dunk routes all the time? Well, that's going to stop now. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to be 
let's let's beat the defense. Let's let's beat these cornerbacks deep. Oh, but wait, we have Wake and Vernon coming off the edge. You're not gonna have time to throw it deep. So, I mean, if you know, a lot of this, there's a lot of ifs. But if it, if it sets up the way we want it to, the defense has got a chance to be on the verge of being elite. Yeah, yeah, and never mind the fact that Chicago couldn't gain anything on the ground until Indomitian Sue was out of the game. And he was only around for a handful of snaps. The uh, the play that ended up nullified because of holding on both sides was, I think that was that was either his last play or his second last second to last play. But either way, I mean, like that that was just an absolute no run zone in there while while he was while he was lined up, and that's that's one of the things I know that some fans for some reason think that when you pay a guy 114 million dollars it's 60 60 million guarantee that he's going to come in just notch 20 sacks in addition to absolutely uh murdering uh the uh, the line of scrimmage uh clogging doing everything that's not really what's going to happen here but the fact that he's so strong at the point of attack commands so much attention and still uh racks up stats uh, still contributes, despite the fact he could have two or three guys on him. That's huge, and that's I think that is going to be worth the uh, the price of admission the Dolphins pay to get him in there. So then all that add in a, a beast mode like uh, Jordan Phillips, and that was uh, I know uh, I think I talked with Oscar maybe you about uh, I don't know how you say his name I think it's Grassu who was the center. Yeah, Ronis Grassu. Yes, he was the center for Chicago. On their, I think it was their, it was their third series when all the all the ones were out at that point. It was uh, Jimmy Clausen's first series, and they try that run play, and he just Jordan Phillips just drives Grassu into the backfield. I mean, it was like it was like he's pushing a little kid. It was it was kind of funny almost, and you're like, whoa, did that just happen? So when that guy develops, you're going to have three guys on the front, a center and two guards, who are going to have to say, all right, on one hand, I'm going to have to double Sue. And this 340-pound behemoth that can do backflips is going to crush this other guy one-on-one. Or I help him out, but then the other guy's going to get in Dama Kinsu. You know, it's, what are you going to do? And that's uh, and that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Now, it's not going to happen immediately. Phillips is going to take some time to develop a little bit. When it gets to that point, and I think you said today earlier that, you know, you don't expect him to be much of a, generate much of a pass rush. But if... You know, if you were expecting, you know, a a left guard just to take him one on one after watching him do that, I mean, there were people saying, "Well, let's let's keep Pouncey at, at guard and draft a guy like Grassu." Well, now you see what a guy like Phillips can do. And after the uh, caller last week called in, and you know, he was talking to that guy and said, "Hey, they just weren't using him right at Oklahoma. If Miami can use him right, not only is that going to be a no run zone, it's almost you know." Your limit offenses are going to be limited because we're going to have to keep in extra blockers. And then Miami can throw a second wave of guys at you, like today, Shelby, Mosley. You know, it's like it it does not let up. And I don't know that just that gets me all excited because I love watching a good defensive line dominate. I mean, we saw what the Giants did back in '07 to the Patriots, just you know, owned that game. And we have the defensive line that can start owning games now. Phillips came so close to catching Jaquiz Rogers from behind at one point. 
uh, when he was still in the game. Like he, he actually got into the backfield, pursued, and almost caught their running back. I think it was within an eyelash. I thought he was going to get him. He dove, and he wasn't able to catch his ankles. But, I mean, you're talking about a, a 340-pound, five defensive tackle nearly showing enough pursuit to get uh, a pretty fast running back, even though that guy's only about, five, I think, like 5'6 or 5'7, some, some pretty small stature. Uh, so if you're getting that, not only that amount of athleticism from Jordan Phillips, but also that kind of effort, because that was, I think, one of the big knocks on him when he came out of Oklahoma, you know, the motor, we don't know how we feel about his effort level long-term. Well, now that you've got him working along and Dominican Stew practicing with him, seeing the, the sort of almost insane drive and work ethic that Dominican Stew has, I mean, that guy is just a, an absolute machine when it comes to putting in work, getting things done, making himself ready for the season and for uh, every, and every week for games. So if you're able to, to show Jordan Phillips uh, that amount of work ethic, that amount of drive, that amount of commitment and leadership, I mean, you hope it rubs off. And I, I thought he looked great the other night. I mean, I hope that we get a, a chance to see him, to see him and, and to play uh, next to each other. Because personally, I like Jordan Phillips as a defensive tackle a heck of a lot more than I like Nick Fairley when Fairley came out of Auburn. And that might draw a gasp from some people because, I mean, Nick Fairley was pretty impressive when he came out of Auburn in 2011. And when Detroit drafted him, people just kind of treated that like it was going to be the Legion of Doom on that defensive, uh, the interior of that defensive line with Sue and Fairley together. Personally, I like Phillips' skill set and athleticism more at that spot. I think that if where I mean, Fairley's a bigger body guy. I mean, athletic, but just a real, almost like a mauler at the defensive tackle position. I think that if you're able to get someone who's, who's big enough to hold his own, big enough to handle double teams, but quick enough to also split them, or if he's able to get a guy one-on-one and he can take advantage of that matchup, He's going to get those if he's able to play with Indomitian Sue at some point. So that's that's awesome to even consider. And you just hope that he's able to get that chance because I think that he's got that ability. So that's what was going through my head watching that game. I think that I was more interested to watch Phillips play than Sue just because I know what I'm getting with Indomitian Sue. Like I said, I live up here. Uh, I could, even if, you know, if I didn't have a Sunday ticket and I didn't go to the to the bar to watch Dolphins games or whatever, even if I just stayed home, chances are I could probably see Indomitian Stu play every week up here. And he, I mean, he's just an awesome talent. You know what you're getting. Uh, you don't want to ever say a sure thing when don't have that kind of money, but you feel good. You feel like that's a sturdy investment. And the leadership he's shown in camp, we, we were, we've talked about that the past few weeks, but sounds like he's actually taken a lot of these guys under his wing and it served as almost like a tutor which is great too. That's not really something you expect from someone who's got that level of uh, NFL star power uh, and wealth. I yeah, love it. One thing that, we, that I failed to mention last week, it was a, a point that Dolphin Fan for Life brought up, was that when Indomitian Sue came in, I, I don't remember where I read this, but it said he pretty much deferred to Cameron Wake. And everybody's like, oh, you're the big man now. This is your defensive line. Something's like, no, this is Wake's defensive line. And so when when you hear that, 
that that is a, a type of leadership in a way he's saying, no, yeah, I'm, I'm making the money, I'm the big name, but I'm the new guy here, and this is the guy who runs this show. And we all know what kind of drive Cameron Wake has. Um, so when, when the big money guy said, you know what, this is the guy we're going to follow, and that guy is just uh, an enormous workaholic, that, then it's going to drive everyone else. And when you see that, and, and the thing with Jordan Phillips is he can't fall behind because you look at everyone else on that line, they're all working very hard to be the best they can be. And he knows that, you know, that they're going to let him know if he falls behind, you know, if you don't if you don't come out here and give it 100% every time, you're not going to play because they're going to put some, you know, because I guarantee Susan going to be like, I don't want to play beside somebody who's not going to, you know, put forth the effort that I'm going to put in there. So, you know, that – just Sue bringing that type of leadership, bringing that type of just aura around him, um, I mean, that – it's contagious. And it's it, – you know, it's it's helping everybody. I've not read any anything from any player that they said uh, – that uh, that they regret bringing to him, and of course, no player is going to say that eh, wasn't a good idea. But they're all basically effusive with praise. They're like, nobody can block this guy. Nobody, uh, they, you know, we love playing behind this guy. All this kind of stuff, and you know, he's he, he's good enough himself to be disruptive, and he's making other players become more disruptive. So, uh, man, that that defensive line is just going to be so nasty this year. It, it's going to be so much fun to watch. And that's what the starters, not talking about bringing a guy like Phillips off the bench who, you know, limit his snaps early in the season, you know, wait till he gets a little more into NFL shape. You know, bring him in in the third quarter when they're, uh, that offensive line's been down in the Miami Heat and they're getting tired. And next thing you know, they've got that behemoth lining up in front of them who's fresh. You know, that that's a recipe for disaster. And it's, it, you know, I'm just waiting. The one thing I want to see more from Phillips than anything else is I want to see him go against New England and just destroy their left guard and completely envelop Tom Brady like an amoeba. Just, just you know, block him from the screen where you cannot see him. I'm going to look forward to that, and I'm going to take. If that happens, I'm going to keep it on my DVR until the end of time. I don't blame you. We talked about it earlier in the show. Dolphins are in Carolina. Uh, game on Saturday. They're heading. I think they're they've already flown up there. Uh, to I, how many practices are they, are they doing? Is it three? It's two practices tomorrow and Thursday. Okay. Uh, we're fortunate to have both and Duke, or to have both Duke and Lewis uh, heading up there to check out. Um, I think. Uh, are you staying for the game too, or are you just going to practices? I'm going to the game as well. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to do that. I'm going to have to head back home because I got stuff to do down here, down there. So I'm going to go up to the two practices, and then I'm leaving right after the second practice is over. Uh, what are you, uh, Lewis, what are you looking for? Because Duke earlier talked about how he's going to focus on watching the offensive line. Is there anything you're interested in, in focusing on when you watch those practices? 
Well, pretty much the same things I always focus on. I'm looking at who's who's stepping up in the secondary, who's doing things on the offensive line, who's doing things on the defensive line, all the stuff that's um, really important. I'm not concerned with Tannehill anymore. I'm not concerned with the wide receivers. I know what they can do. And I'm not really concerned with the running backs. I know what Lamar Miller brings to the table, and I know what Damian Williams brings to the table. If James decides he wants to bring his magic back, whatever it was that was making him good, then by all means, go ahead. I don't have a problem with it. But right now, the only things I'm interested in is who is going to be making the big steps into the defensive line because there's a lot of players there that are currently fighting for jobs. I want to see the offensive line, see who steps up against the Panthers' defense and who doesn't. I want to see who manages to stop the likes of Kelvin Benjamin and all those guys before it gets too bad. I want to know who's going to be the other boundary corner. I want to know who is going to be the starting guards. And that's that's what I've been focusing on this whole time in camp, and that's what I'm going to continue to focus on against the Panthers. It's just now that it's a different look, and it's going to be one that we've been sorely needing. Damian Williams has kind of been flying under the radar a little bit, but I like him spelling uh, Lamar Miller up here. I think that that's something that can that can work. I like the way that he plays. I like the, the skill set that he brings in, too. So, uh, And I also like the fact that at some point, could be later this season, could be next season. I like having a Jaya in there too. I like the the whole sort of uh, you wouldn't say counterpoint, but there's a real balance that this team has has uh, sought to to build in its backfield. But Damian Williams is uh, an under the radar guy, and uh, I thought I like the effort that he showed in that game on Thursday. I think he can do some some pretty cool things. So hopefully that continues, but uh, it's not going to scare me away from drafting Lamar Miller in my fantasy league. But I like him. I like him a lot, actually. The only the only drawback that I'm aware of about the, the practices is that um, I believe that Star Lotalile and Kawan Short uh, are both either injured or they're. I think Star is injured. He had a uh, a stress reaction in, in, a, in a bone, I think it's in his leg. Uh, and when I've read Schwartz kind of uh, injured, they're limiting him or something. So, um, unfortunately, the guards aren't going to get to face uh, the top defensive lineman that, that uh, Carolina has. And that would have been a very good test, more so than the Bears, I think. Number one, they run a four-man front, so, you, you know, you don't have – you have that dynamic. But – um, you know, those are those are good defensive tackles. And I, w- I was looking forward to seeing that matchup. And I knew Star was going to be out for a while, and I was looking forward to that. I really wanted to see Short versus Turner. I wanted to see how he handled another uh, aggressive, uh, disruptive, penetrating defensive tackle uh, besides Sue, and uh, I-, I don't know that we're going to get that now. So I'm a little disappointed in that. Um, but for the most part, I think it's going to be – uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting to watch. Uh, Lewis mentioned the secondary. I mean, they've got Funches out there. He's like six four. They've got Kelvin Benjamin uh, and uh, Ted getting his family out there in the slot. So I don't really know. Uh, I, I really don't know how these corners are going to match up. I mean, you, you know how um, Grimes played against guys like uh, Calvin Johnson, but. You know, they did well at times, but they gave up a lot of yards, too. So, you know, 
to me, I want to see. I know Jamar Taylor uh, last Thursday night. He played some. Uh, they used him in some press situations. Uh, I, I like to see how he reacts against some of these bigger receivers in that situation. I want. I want to see him go up against a guy like Funches, press him at the line of scrimmage to see what he can do. Um, I, I'm going to be watching that. I'm going to be watching some of the safeties, and the linebackers, and stuff too. But uh, that's the main thing is just I want to watch the guards, and I wanted to see how they're going to stop these, these giants out there at, at the receiver position because, I mean, basically, uh, you know, Cam Newton can just throw the ball up. I mean, I watched that touchdown against the, the Bills, uh, I believe it was Friday night, and he pretty much just threw the ball up in the air and Benjamin just went up and got it. I mean, I, I don't even know how accurate you need to be for something like that. Just put it in the general vicinity and go. So, you know, that you've got to – if you're a cornerback, you're going to have to either be ready to play the ball well, – I was say Benjamin's enormous, and back when we weren't sure that we'd have a, a chance at drafting someone like Devontae Parker, I remember we spent a lot of time looking at Devin Funchos. So, yeah, that's uh, that is an oversized receiver core if I've ever seen one. A lot of people talk about how big the the Bears receiver core was when they had Marshall and Jeffrey. I personally think this one's even more enormous. Like, these guys are just huge. So yeah, it's almost he's like going up again. Like, uh, that's that's the kind of receiving core that Josh Freeman needs to succeed. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. That's true, though. Uh, I'm not really sure what what the expectations were for Josh Freeman. It's it's almost like people thought he was going to come in and, and challenge for a spot. I thought he just was coming in as a camp body. Like who's going to be the third guy? Because I, I, I never really thought that he would. I was really hoping he would play well well enough that somebody, some desperate team might throw a draft pick at him if it was, uh, you know, if it was, if he was showing enough to where Miami might want to keep him. But I, I, I Well, the Jets, the, the Jets just signed Matt Flynn, so it was like the, obviously there are desperate teams out there. I just – Josh Freeman didn't cut it. Yeah, I mean, the only way Miami's going to get anything for Freeman is if they I put him on IR and then somebody – yeah, try to swindle like the old somewhere in there, but yeah, I mean he's going. He's not going to make the team. I don't think Bethel Thompson's going to make the team. Um, so, I mean, you've got to have him now at this point. But you know, uh, maybe Bethel Thompson can make the practice squad or something. But yeah, the Josh Freeman experiment is, is over. Well, yeah. they're going to need a third quarterback. They're going to need a third quarterback just to have an arm around for practices and stuff. So MBT will probably wind up on the practice squad. Yeah, I mean, whatever works. But I just felt like the guy was a camp body coming in. You know, he had some decent moments in Tampa. I thought that in 2010 he was really coming around. I mean, Tampa did some pretty impressive things that season. But for some reason there was just a, like a strong regression ever since that, that point. So, I don't know. But I agree that, I mean, any quarterback could look pretty good with that that Carolina receiver core that they have going on right now. And Duke also mentioned Greg Olson's in there. He's, he runs about 6'5". So, it's almost like playing a, like a college basketball team in there or something. Or it's kind of like what um, Tampa was looking to build uh, last year when they had a – they already had Vic, uh, Victor Jackson uh, – Vincent Jackson. What is wrong with me tonight? Uh, I need coffee, evidently. They had Vincent Jackson in there, and then they brought in Mike Evans, and it was just like this. Like, you just think like, and I don't know. If I have... 
I don't know if I, yeah, you are a huge fan still to this day for Austin Sapphire and Jenkins. So, and that's fine. I mean, like, it's just, you think, I don't have enough defensive backs who are, who are big enough to handle this. Like, I have to go ahead and, and just bring in, like, the Globetrotters or something to try to fight this off. So, this will, yeah, this will be a decent test. Uh, this, this sounds kind of weenie, but I'm okay with Quan uh, Short and Watu Lile not playing only because I'm not looking to really test these, <laughs> to see these guys tested too much in, in the preseason. I don't see anyone get hurt. Like, if it, what come regular season time, I'm all for, you know, just going gladiator with this kind of stuff. But right now, it doesn't break my heart to see anyone out there just because, I mean, if, if they need to prove it to themselves, that's fine. If they need that test, then I absolutely understand that. But I'm not disappointed that these guys are all getting thrown around like little kids by Andomikin's too. That didn't surprise me at all. In fact, I expected it. I thought that once camp rolled around that those guards were going to have a bad time. And which is proven to be exa- uh, exactly that. You know what's really messed up? Sure, go ahead. I was in. I was getting into. Uh, I apparently touched a very hot topic on Twitter this uh, this afternoon, and I talked about how somebody mentioned how they were hoping that Douglas and Turner and Thomas would all fail, just so they could have an excuse to sign Evan Mathis, and I. I, I kind of lost my mind a little bit when I read that because basically they're saying that they don't want the young guys to succeed because they want to sign the one-year rental. Like, I've never heard... I, and more money for it because that means we'd be desperate and we'd have to pay whatever he wanted. It's like, I... I that's insane to me. Like, you, you're basically saying I don't want them to be good because I want Evan Mathis. Are you out of your mind? The whole point is that if they're good, you don't need to sign Evan Mathis. So, of course, you should root for them to succeed. You shouldn't root for them to fail. And the very fact that there are people actually rooting for them to fail just baffles me. I mean, like, what kind of fans are you? I'd agree. I think that is messed up. Uh, I don't understand why. I mean, I know that some people just don't like Dallas Thomas. That's fine. I actually liked him when he played at Tennessee. Uh, and I didn't have a problem because at one time he was their left tackle. And then uh, they moved him, which really hurt his draft stock, I thought. And then ever since that point, it's like people have had this issue with him. And I know that the Dolphins didn't make things any easier on him because they insisted he was a tackle when you could tell that. I mean, at this point in the NFL, if he's going to play, he's going to be a guard. So you got him in there. We've already talked about Billy Turner. Duke and I, I think, watched tape of that guy every night for probably about two weeks because we liked him so much. And now you got Jameel Douglas in there. And I, here's the thing, though. These guys are, for the most part, all extremely young. And, I mean, they're playing. I mean, some of them are still doing the conversion, especially, I mean, Turner and Thomas. Uh, so you've got these guys in there who are, who are sliding over, which isn't a, a sure thing. I mean, there's a definite learning curve involved. But these are all guys who are playing for this team who have a chance to develop with this offensive line because there are some very good pieces on there in Pouncey and Jawan James. So, and you've got them on rookie contracts. Like, why wouldn't you want them to succeed? Why do you want to pay Evan Mathis $11 billion to come in and completely nuke your chances of re-signing someone like Olivier Vernon next year? 
because they're scared to death. Everybody wants to talk about building through the draft, and then when it's time to build through the draft and let the young guys play, they are terrified, and they want to sign every free agent that comes their way. Well, it's kind of live dangerously because, I mean, this is just that that sort of in-between point where you, you have the guys in there you want. I mean, the, at least the coaching staff feels that way. And now you got to let them play, and there's going to be some growing pains. But I liked what I saw from Billy Turner the other night. The uh, the holding penalty be damned. I just getting that guy in Miami. I just had a feeling that guy was going to end up being a really good player for us, regardless of the position uh, he he ended up playing for us. I in that right now, if they want to go ahead and they have him at guard and they're comfortable there, he's definitely. I mean, and I don't know that you could find a more perfect zone blocking scheme guard. I mean, the guy is just uh, athletic as all get out, and. Uh, I like Jamil Douglas more than I like Dallas Thomas, but I don't hate Dallas Thomas. And I think that Dallas Thomas is probably thrilled knowing that he's not going to have to play in Dominican Sioux. He's not even going to have to look at Earl Mitchell. Anyway, now that, uh, now that they're getting into the thick of things as they're, as they're closing in on the regular season. I mean, Earl Mitchell is a good player. And I think next to Dominican Sioux, he's a major problem. And you could say the same case. I mean, you can. Well, I, I could probably do some work in there if I had a Dominican Sue next to me. That guy's an absolute freak. But if it's Earl Mitchell, or you've get, or if you want to go ahead and you bring in Jordan Phillips, or you have just this wealth of uh, defensive line talent, now, a couple guys on there you can flip between defensive end and defensive tackle. Uh, I mean, these are just. I mean, these are imposing guys right now. This is an intimidating crew, in my opinion. So I just I think it's unfair to hold it against these guards. And I haven't seen too much on Twitter about I have well I have seen people pining for Evan Mathis, but if they're if they're hoping for these guys to fail just so they can get him, then I mean, that's ridiculous because that, that's a short term solution to what would be a very long term problem. You want to see these guys develop, and you want to develop them on that rookie contract. That's absolutely something you want right now. There's no reason yeah, to overpay the guard position if you don't have to. Yeah, and I want to I want to pose a question. That's all. Uh, I think Oscar posed on on Twitter. Is how, how many wins does Evan Mathis equate to? Um, I mean, what do you think Miami's record is with the current? When you ask these people, what do you think their current record, their record's going to be with the guards that they have? And if you bring in Evan Mathis, how many more wins does that equate to? And is that worth the $6 million or whatever it's going to take? Another point that I'm going to bring up is Evan Mathis is more than likely going to sign with a sixth different NFL team here shortly. He, he, you know, he, it wasn't like he came into the league and was dominant. I mean, he played for the Panthers. He, I think he was on Miami uh, back in the Sperano days. They cut him, played for Cincinnati, played for the, Bing, uh, the Eagles. Now he's going to play for another team. So, you know, people are like, well, he, he he's good now. But to me, it's like there's a lot of this, you mentioned earlier, instant gratification. If, if a guy doesn't come in and become a immediate superstar or quality starting player, then they're not very good and they're never going to develop. And sometimes, that, sometimes they, they never come around. But who's to say that Billy Turner and Dallas Thomas and Jamil Douglas can't follow a similar route to, to Ed Mathis? to the point where maybe not this year that they are Pro Bowl level, but who's to say they can't be Pro Bowl level next year? Who's to say that they may not start the season rougher and then by week 17 
are playing outstanding. Um, yeah, you know, so I mean, I think the game that you know, Chicago runs a three-man front. They're they're not any elite defense or anything else like that. But I believe there were a lot of fans who were expecting the guards, based on what they saw or heard from camp, were expecting them to just get blown up. And they watched the game. Uh, Billy Turner didn't get blown up. Uh, Dallas Thomas played well. He got out and was bulldozing people, holding his own in pass protection. I think I saw one pass play where he kind of uh, he dropped to a knee, but he, he didn't allow pressure. As far as I know, I don't think either one of them allowed a pressure. So, you know, I mean, I think there were people expecting, oh, this is going to be bad. They've been bad all camp, and then they came out there and they weren't, and then it was kind of like, oh, what do we do now? Uh, yeah, Evan Mathis is going to make the team better, absolutely. But is he worth so much that he's going to be so much better than those guys? I mean, yeah, it's possible those guys could fall on their face in the regular season, and this is going to be a good test against Carolina. But if they come out against Carolina and hold their own, at what point do you do you start to say, all right, you know what, let's just leave it alone? You, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm kind of I'm kind of the you draft, let's develop them. And I'm skittish about you know Dallas Thomas too, but I, I I'm I was uh, encouraged by what I saw in the game. Um, you know I, I'm not expecting him to be anything special based on that, but I didn't see anything that was like oh my gosh we've got to replace Dallas Thomas with Evan Mathis yesterday. You know it, it was kind of was you know if if he plays like that all season long I will absolutely take it. Well, the Dolphins drafted them; they're paying them. Might as well see what they can do. I mean, it's. I understand that at some point you look at some of these picks and you're like, well, don't treat it like sunk cost and just sit there and continue to just pour your resources into it when it's not going to work out. I think that Dallas Thomas could be fine. I think he can be a serviceable guard. I think Jameel Douglas can be a really, really good guard. I think that Billy Turner can be a really, really good guard too. I would say that those guys are on a tier above Dallas Thomas. But I'm, I think it's ridiculous to root for those guys to – to fail just so you can go ahead and, and construct some sort of like faux uh, five pro bowler offensive line. If you think that's, what's going to get it done. Look, I mean, you could make the case that even Dallas Thomas, Billy Turner and Jamil Dulles right now are hands down the best guard setup that Ryan Tannehill's had in front of them, you know, and we talked about this last week uh, until something really weird happens. I'm more concerned still about Brandon Albert long-term just because he's so important to this offense. And that's one thing to consider that we didn't even get to see last week. We didn't even see him in the game. I mean, Jason Fox is okay, but I mean, Brandon Albert's an outstanding left tackle. And I think that if he's out, then it turns into this carousel that just becomes an utter mess. And if, if he can stay healthy, then you're at least able to have some options at guard. So no. And something else that Lewis and Duke just brought up, and I want to go ahead and echo or repeat is um, I don't want to get into a bidding war for Evan Mathis, which is likely to happen. No, thanks. I mean, this team already has a lot of money tied up into the trenches right now. I don't understand going, going past that. You just gave Tannehill the, the new contract. At some point you need to go ahead and roll with the guys that you've drafted and developed. And I think that's something that I hope that more Dolphins fans start to come around to that. And I don't mean that in a demeaning or, or condescending way, but w- 
there's something to be said about the the ability to draft and develop players instead of just luring them away when they become free agents. And I realize that probably sounds super critical considering we just signed Indomitian Sue, but I feel like that was sort of a, well, that was absolutely an abnormality in terms of how free agency works because very rarely do ultra-dominant 28-year-old defensive tackles hit the, hit the free agent market. You can count on your one hand how many times that's happened in the past 30 years. That just doesn't yeah, happen. I mean, a player of Sue's caliber doesn't hit the market. Usually your free agent types end up becoming like Mike Wallace was. A guy that was yeah. paid handsomely, but didn't work out the way you expected him to. Now, occasionally you get, you know, I mean, if the Dolphins had gone after Revis, I don't think anybody would have been upset with that. But, you know, when these, when a, a talent like Sue hits the market and you've got a chance, you absolutely go for that. You know, and, and everyone wants to kill him for it. Do I? You know, the, I mean, that, that team took a beating this offseason, talking about how they're just trying to go ahead and, and buy a team. If if they're in a position to buy the best defensive tackle in football, the most dominant defensive tackle in football with, I mean, respect to Gerald McCoy because he's also outstanding, uh, you do that. And like you just said, I mean, every every time you have a chance to do that, you got you to gotta go ahead and you got to go through with it. But I mean, all that is the same. There's the great teams in this league, the teams that sustain success, and I don't want to say New England, but I mean New England, are the teams that draft and develop these guys. You go ahead yeah, and you I mean, bring look, in. Look, look, yeah, look at New England. I mean, look at their secondary. Yeah, Malcolm Butler, he went undrafted, but he, he made the big play in the Super Bowl, but look at their, the starting secondary. They had uh, they had uh, two free agents that they started at, uh, at cornerback. Um I mean, I mean, teams like that do that. Seattle, uh, a lot of their edge rushers were were free agents. I mean, every team does this. I think Miami just gets a lot of flack for it because they paid guys a lot of money. And I think, in retrospect, I think most teams look to Mike Wallace's contract and say, "Yeah, he way ever paid for that." People are saying that about Sue because it's a big, big contract. But you know, when a, a guy who's on a who's on a Hall of Fame kind of pace is available, you know, you take that. I mean, if Des Bryant was available, there would have been tons of fans saying, oh, throw money at him, throw money at him. So, you know, what, what's the difference with Sue here? You know, to me, Evan Mathis isn't that guy. Though. I mean, if you can get Evan Mathis for $3 million or less, I don't have a problem with that. You're not getting Evan Mathis for $3 million or less. So, you know... Roll with what you got. If it's not good enough, you know, you work around it the best you can. That's why you have coaches. We've got one of the better offensive line coaches in the NFL. You know. Yeah, exactly. John Button is really, really good. And you like to think that. I mean, you got to put faith in him and faith in the personnel right now. And and, and and go the Dallas Dallas Cowboy route. I mean, they spent, what, four, four, or at least three first-round picks in recent years on, on, on offensive linemen. Um, yeah, there's at least three on that line. There's Tyron Smith, uh, Travis Frederick, and Zach Martin. Yeah, and, and then, you know, if you count Lael Collins, who has first-round talent, would have been a first-round talent pick if it had not been for the other stuff. Uh, I mean, that's a loaded offensive line. You know, and I know 
people have complained about other skill positions. And Miami still has possibly some needs at cornerback, linebacker, and other things like that. But I have that zero problem now at this point. If the Dolphins wanted to look at this offensive line and say, you know what, I'm going to go heavy and build this thing. And the good news is, if these players turn out like we hope they turn out, really the only position they need to draft is left tackle. Because you've already yeah. got a starting center, you know, you've got a starting right tackle. If Billy Turner and the Douglas Thomas combo turn out to be serviceable, adequate, good starting guards, find you a, a, a long term left tackle, well, set it and forget it. Well, yeah, and I mean, that's a position that is so easy to overpay for in free agency. So if if you ever have a chance to draft a left tackle and you think he can be your guy, then you absolutely have to do it. And uh, one thing to to keep in mind is that with the Dolphins in their zone blocking scheme, they don't have to go after these six, seven, three hundred and thirty pound uh, franchise anchor left tackles. You know, like a, even a Jake Long type. These guys that I mean, in the past, you've looked at and thought that's the kind of guy I want protecting my quarterback blind side. I mean, it, you can you can go ahead and find a guy who's a little bit smaller. And you can sacrifice that um, that difference in size with the increased athleticism. You're almost favoring athleticism over the pure size, although you still want the arm length, which is why I think a lot of people are complaining about Zach Martin, which, I mean, that's, I guess, it's a conversation for another day. But we took a lot of heat for suggesting that guy could play anywhere on the offensive line. We got a lot of crap from people. And then he just he goes to Dallas. I mean, Dallas obviously isn't going to put him at left tackle because they have Tyron Smith who has some, what was it, like 35 or 36-inch arms, just something absolutely freakish, just ungodly long arms. Aaron Smith looked like a tight end, not a left tackle. Yeah, he's just, I mean, when he played at USC, he was just an absolute, just a total freak. I mean, they have a great center. They took a lot of crap for driving, for taking uh, Frederick, uh, um, or Frederick's in the, uh, in the first round. I mean, they got a lot of crap for that. And then they go ahead and they take Zach Martin. They stick him at right guard, and he, he's a pro bowler right off the bat. I'm not sure. I, I I remember getting it. Like, the only time I've ever gotten in a fierce Twitter battle with someone, I had this one kid who came after me and just was calling me a fraud and telling me I was trying to brainwash people. I mean, this kid was just like a troll, troll like a total troll jerk ass, pretty much. But his issue was that he thought that Zach Martin sucked and had terrible feet and could never play in the NFL and be a wasted pick and everything. And I was just like, what, have you ever watched him play at Notre Dame? The guy's unreal. The only thing he had working against him, the only reason he's not playing left tackle in the NFL is, well, Tyron Smith and the fact that, I mean, he had shorter arms than you'd like to see from your left tackle. And I think he only came in at 6'4". That's fine for us in the zone blocking scheme. That works. Dwayne Brown's only 6'4". I think that Zach Martin actually had longer arms than Dwayne Brown. And Dwayne Brown, outstanding left tackle went, uh, for the Texans. So, I mean, and a zone blocking scheme. So you can make that work. But, I mean, that's why, I mean, he goes to right guard. I mean, that's the only position they, he really could could fill down, down there in Dallas. But, I mean, he's just been incredible. So, I mean, that's a, just a really long, winding way to say you want to draft and develop these guys, especially with the money that they already have tied up in the offensive line. This is uh, this is an important uh, development for the team and Ryan Tannehill. You want to see them 
bring these guards along. And I think that Jameel Douglas is going to, and, and Turner are going to end up being the guys. I think Dallas Thomas ultimately ends up being a depth guy, which I, I feel like you could ultimately do much worse. And think about it, uh, just getting absolutely smacked around by Indomit and Sue and Mitchell and company, Jordan Phillips, I mean, whoever they're seeing, they're seeing in camp makes them better players too. So all stuff to consider, but yeah, I'm not on the Evan Mathis train. I don't want to get in a, a bidding war for a guy, especially if it's just a short-term option. I'm looking to, we need to draft and develop these guys. I think that's absolutely uh, essential for a team that's really looking to take the next step and not become just a perennial playoff contender, but a Super Bowl contender. And it's coming along at the right time to do that. So a lot of talking going on tonight. It actually didn't take many callers. I Maybe because it's Tuesday, or maybe people just hate me and don't really want to talk. Uh, I want to thank uh, Duke, as always. I want to thank Lewis for uh, calling in and uh, lending us uh, his uh, his valuable insight as he heads up to go uh, check out uh, Carolina Dolphins uh, joint practices. Duke's headed there, too. Uh, follow both of them on Twitter. Uh, do you guys want to go ahead and give out your uh, Twitter handles one more time so people can follow you? Right. Earl 7 And at Debater. That's right. They're both great follows. I highly recommend them both. Uh, that's all the time that we have for tonight. Uh, I want to thank my, my panel as usual. Uh, enjoy the practices. Enjoy the preseason game on Saturday. Hopefully, uh, an injury-free contest that we can get to this preseason healthy as we uh, get ready for Washington to open the season. So for everyone here, I want to say uh, good night. Thanks for joining us on this special night in time. And uh, I think we're back to Thursday next week. I mean, I'll, I'll update you guys, but as far as I know, we'll be back uh, that time uh, nine days from now. So until then, from everyone here at the Insider, thank you very much, and uh, have a great night. Good night. Good night. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.